produced by Podcast Architects. You're listening to the Lead On Podcast, where we discuss experiences in the armed forces while exploring lessons from military leaders. Howdy, everyone. Welcome back to Lead On, Lessons from Military Leaders, the podcast from the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. I'm David Deary with the Enlisted Leadership Foundation, and joining me today is David Carter. David did 34 years in the Navy, retired as a Master Chief Petty Officer. Uh, His position was that of a Force Master Chief. He was in charge of a part of the force of the Navy, and I'll let him explain that to you. David, good morning. Good morning, David. How are you? I'm good, man. Thank you for joining us today as we explore different leadership lessons that we experienced in the Navy and how what we learned, what we experienced, good and bad, can be imparted onto the civilian community and maybe motivate them to uh, to hire veterans and to consider us uh, beyond technical experts, but uh, leaders first. As uh, But before we get going, I always like to start with just kind of a fun question, Dave. So uh, as leaders, we tend to offer advice. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's a lot of times it's unsolicited. Uh, but what's the worst piece of leadership advice somebody ever gave you? Could be before the Navy or even after the Navy. Yeah, I, got, I was thinking about that one, and, and nothing popped to mind immediately about a worst piece of leadership advice. But I, I think I kind of turned it into every bit of advice you're given is useful in some form or fashion. Uh, there are some things that, uh, uh, like one of my first chiefs had told me, uh, as a budding leader, you know, you, you want to get yourself a wheel book and, and you, you're familiar with that term, David, oh, yeah. as a wholesaler, but for, for the viewing audience, it's, it's just a little notebook, a little green notebooks uh, that we used to get from the supply system. Um, it was our, it was the first Palm Pilot. Yes. Yeah. It was the original Palm Pilot. Which people probably don't even know what a Palm Pilot is. So I, I guess we got a segue from a, a wheel book to a Palm Pilot to the iPhone. Yeah. That's an excellent way to look at it. So anyway, but the, the advice I was given is you know, um, when when you're experiencing leadership or viewing leadership and, and you're you're trying to t- get takeaways from it, what you want to do is in the front of the wheel book, write down all those good leadership attributes and use them regularly. In the back of the, the, the um, book, you write down all those bad leadership attributes and those are the ones you want to forget about and don't use. Right? And... So along the way, you, you, you learn these things, you pick up these things. And I, I think I just found, I don't think I've ever really received a bit of leadership advice that I thought that just was like, what? Uh, but there are certain things along the way or attributes I saw along the way that I said, yeah, I don't want to do that. You know, or that's, that's not going to be part of my leadership toolkit because it's not effective or, or whatever it may be. So I think in, in uh, kind of make a long answer short or try to every bit of advice you get is useful in some form or fashion. It's just whether or not you want it at the front of the wheel book or in the back of the wheel book. You know, that's a, that's a great visual. I really appreciate that. You know what? And, and for the listening audience or viewing audience as Navy chiefs, we have these things called charge books that when we make chief petty officer and a charge book is in a sense, a, a, a large wheel book. And instead of me as the new soon to be chief petty officer writing necessarily taking in feedback and it's it's giving that charge book to a chief senior chief master chief for some cases a, an officer and allow them to put some some leadership advice in their their charge book you know and the other thing that i think is vitally important and we we've actually talked about this with past guests is how important it is 
to the act of writing something down, even, you know, even beyond, you know, we all, well, many of us have books that we'll highlight in the book, but, but I've even found highlighting and even then writing something in the margin, because I've gone back to books, so I kind of highlighted that. I don't know why that was important to me at the time. So I started highlighting and then writing why this was significant so that when I go back, I'm like, oh yeah, now we remember that. So yeah, writing it down, the act of writing it kind of puts it to memory. Um, so we, we uh, in your 34 years, uh, so, so, you know, spend a couple, you know, two, three minutes, uh, just, you know, why'd you join the Navy? What'd you do real quick? And, you know, what'd you do when you finished up? Okay. Uh, well, the why is, yeah, really, I always want to be part of the military. I, I think from the age of about 11 is my earliest recollection. I wanted to be in the military. So, um, for the sake of keeping the story a little shorter, you know, I ended up joining the Navy, which was to me the right decision. I think I had a, a, a pretty good run at it and a fairly good career. Uh, not to mention that the Navy would, uh, was going to allow me to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to work on computers. I was a kind of a computer geek in high school uh, into programming. Well, and things what was like your that. first computer, David? Uh, my first my first computer was a Radio Shack laptop. It was running an 8086 processor. Which is the predecessor to the Zena, the the two forty eights. Yeah, I had a ten megabyte hard drive that I thought wow. I would never use up, uh, and it, it ran a version of DOS that was um, proprietary to Radio Shack. It was, you know, yeah. I I I know I'm throwing out some old stuff. People are like, whoa. Yeah, I keep telling people, you know, I you know I joined the Navy to work on computers, and it, but the computers I work on have less processing power than my watch has today. You know. Um, well, there's people who are wondering what Radio Shack is, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, I, I came in the Navy as a, a data systems technician. That's what we, we called them back then. Um, and a great training. Yeah, we were, the, I think, the second longest school to nuke power. Um, and uh, so I was in school almost two years, a year and a half between my A schools and C schools <clears throat> before I hit the fleet and uh, was a uh, display technician. On my first ship, the USS Virginia, uh, CGM thirty oh, eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the new cruisers, which aren't around anymore either. Mm -mm. Uh, but I uh, got to serve and uh, do a lot of cool things throughout my career. I served in just about every community except submarines, which is cool because I'm not really into the sinking ship thing anyway. Uh, I, I give a lot of love to my uh, submariner buddies out there. I, I couldn't do it, you know. God bless you. Um, and, um, went into the command program about my 20 year point. Uh, so came, a uh, got selected for command senior chief, but, uh, uh, the same year I got selected for master chief. So I went right in as a, a CM, DCM and, uh, did six command tours, um, to include a, a large installation, Naval station, Norfolk, uh, aircraft carrier, the George H.W. Bush and, and a couple others. And uh, ended up retiring um, my, my last job as the force master chief for information warfare. So I worked for the uh, three star who was in charge of the information warfare community in the Navy, helping to uh, lead, mentor, motivate the roughly 56,000 sailors in the information warfare community. Uh, enjoyed that immensely. It was a great way to go out. I uh, had a lot of fantastic sailors I got to work with. Um, you know, there's just so many just amazing, smart, dedicated sailors in the information warfare community that, it, you know, especially when you get to see what they do behind the, the, the curtains, you know, with, with that high clearance. And 
Um, it was just really kind of the highlight of my career, which was great. And then um, fortunately, I got hired by uh, Veterans Lending Group. Uh, we're, we're a VA specialty lender, where I, I'm the national director of education for the company. And uh, so in that regard, I, I'm not out there doing loans and things like that, but I get to go out and teach vets and service members and their families about their home loan benefit and how to become their own best advocate in using that. So uh, really kind of transitioned into a great job that allows me to still stay connected to the veteran uh, community and continue to help, you know, giving back by ensuring that uh, vets and service members can get a home of their own. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the veteran community and sometimes people um, think of veterans as those of us who have already transitioned out when in fact veterans are also the active duty. And so you, through uh, Veterans Lending Group, be able to provide some education training, like you said. Um, I think at one time you've said, and I've heard others say that less than 10%, that, that might even be a high number. Actually, less than, less than 18% of vets and service members use their benefit, which is when you look at the roughly 19 million yeah. current vets and service members, less than 18% are actually using their benefit right right now. Well, you know, and, and I only recently learned in the last couple of years that uh, I, I always thought that using your VA home loan was a once and done, but it's it's not. And, and it, there's, there's, I don't want to turn this into a VA lending. I, I would hope that people would contact <laughs> you guys. Well, but... You know, okay. Well, um, yeah, so but seriously, though, we, we are here to provide this education for, for free. We just want to get the word out. So uh, to, to wrap that up, you know, we're available to help. And it's something else that, David, you and I had talked about previously, and I don't know if this is an appropriate time to bring it up, but, I mean, those who have made the transition out have so much information to share with those that are still serving and or going through the transition themselves. And I think that uh, tends to get lost in the sauce when, oh, they're already on the other side. You know, they don't, they're not relevant anymore when oh, they are most certainly relevant because they've lived the transition process. They now we're on the other side, hopefully successfully. And um, we have a lot to feedback down into the, the active side to say, hey, this is what you need to be ready for. Yeah, you know, let's talk about, and, and what you're talking about is something that is mentoring. Um, and, you know, throughout the military career, we've always had mentors. When you and I came in, we called them sea uh, daddies, right? Uh, <laughs> who's your sea daddy? Um, um, and that, that was only because at the time for, for warships, only men served on warships. Now, sure. but now we, we have, um, we all have a mentor. We either, I can remember uh, in 2003, I was embarked on board the Nimitz and it was at that time the Navy came out with this, everyone will have a mentor. And you either pick one or we're going to give you one. Um, not the right model, but at least they recognized the value, right? And, you know, so so looking at what you do through Veterans Lending Group, as well as other stuff that you do on the side, things that I do, even in my corporate job, I have mentors. Um but, but, you know, you're right. Your transition experience, you transitioned out during COVID. Uh, you and I both are fortunate that when we transitioned, a job kind of fell into our lap. But that, that's not the norm, right? Um, but just because that happened doesn't mean we aren't experienced in helping others transition. And, and you know, the relationships that you established well, in I and think, out of uniform. But I think an important part of that, David, when we're talking about the mentoring piece in relation to, you know, we, we say jobs fell into our laps. Um, 
I think we might be oversimplifying that a bit, but a lot of that comes from because we, we're out there networking, we're out there talking to people, we're growing our circles of influence. And that's how those jobs entered into our, sure. our circles. You're right. right? So it, uh, you know, it's not, wasn't just luck or happenstance. It, it was, there was, there were directed efforts along the way to get there. Now, Even if those directed efforts weren't strategic, right? It just exactly. could exactly. just be our personality. The, the, even in a certain degree, as a force master chief or region master chief, we just engage with people that... I, I would actually say it, it was strategic. It may not have been tactical. Okay. Yeah, you know, because it was the big yeah. picture of the strategy. You know, the, the strategy is, you know, just you know, build the networks. And that's my, one of my biggest pieces of advice for those transitioning is... Make sure you're working on those networks, not just when you're entering into transition. You know, anybody who's serving now, even at the beginning of their career, networking is huge. But um, with that big strategic networking goal, the, the tactical goals are going to come into play. So talk to us about your network that led you or led Veterans Lending Group to you. Okay. Um, you know, it's almost like, um, what's that? Seven orders of Kevin Bacon or whatever the, the story is. Oh, <laughs> yeah, uh, you yeah, know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, I'd already put in my paperwork. I was, um, I was early in my transition process and my transition process was a very long one. You know, I put in right at the 18 month point and then I got extended it on active duty for five months due to COVID. So uh, my transition was almost a, a full two years. Um, but early on, you know, I was on you know, the computer just you know, doing the Facebook thing, you know, um, trying to get some information. And I came across an article um, that uh, uh, from John Wayne Troxel. If you're not familiar with that name, John Wayne Troxel was the third senior enlisted advisor to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So the, the most senior enlisted guy in the military. Um, and I'd been following John. Uh, I don't think we had met personally at that point, but we had mutual friends. Um, Spuds. Um, oh, shoot. I'm trying to remember um, his real name. <laughs> I'm horrible. Name. Uh, he's, a, he's a Marine Sergeant Major. He was the uh, PACOM uh, SEL while I was the region master for Hawaii. And, um, you know, I knew Spuds and Spuds was friends with uh, John. So and I knew that relationship and um you know, because I I, the, I knew the character of Spuds and I knew he wouldn't befriend somebody who didn't have similar character. I said, okay, this this John Wayne Troxel and and what I'd heard about him as well said, okay, this guy's got to be the real deal. He wouldn't go to work for this company as their brand ambassador if he didn't believe in it. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to be needing um, a mortgage company because I'm I'm getting out of Virginia, my last duty station, moving to Tennessee my forever home. And, um, you know, through a series of conversations and phone calls, I ended up talking to Jamie Fisher, who is the branch manager for the Colorado Springs office and who is licensed here in Tennessee. And, you know, since we were so early in the process, it was just like, Hey, you know, what are you thinking about? You know, it was a really good conversation. It wasn't one of those like high pressure push sales type of things. And, uh, just led from that to, we talked about our service because Jamie's also a vet. Uh, he was um, Air Force and National Guard. And then, um, you know, that led into, hey, have you ever thought about selling loans? And before you even get the word out of his mouth, he's like, nope, I want nothing to do with sales. That's the last thing I want to do. And then he mentioned, how about education? I'm like, okay. 
you know, and that's one of the things that always been my passion is, is helping people, teaching sailors, you know, giving them the information they need to be successful. And, um, and that really clicked. And one thing led to another. Before you know it, I was offered the job of the National Director of Education. So from knowing Spuds McKenzie way over here to um, connecting with Jamie and um, you know, being offered a job on this side, it was really that 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 network and those folks that I knew that got me there. Yeah. So hopefully that it wasn't you know, too muddy. <laughs> well, yeah, but but I think one of the big takeaways is a word that you use is character, right? Yeah. You, yeah. We, oh, yeah. you know, when when we reach into people, even if you look in LinkedIn, it, it, it you can look who do these people follow? What what kind of information do they post on social media? That speaks a lot to an individual mm-hmm. character. Uh, yeah. or for a company that you're with. I'm sure that um, just because a person of high character worked for vet- uh, Veterans Landing Group, before you assumed it, you probably did your due diligence just to you know look at the reviews, check out the company, make sure it is a, a company you want to be associated with. I just remember the name, Sergeant Major Spadaro. Okay, Spuds. Uh, yeah, yeah, Spuds Spadaro. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good man, really good guy. And, you know, and, and part of that character building and the mentoring is not burning bridges, right? Um, it, and yeah. I will tell you, um, yeah, it, sometimes we don't intentionally burn bridges, mm-hmm. but br- bridge burning can happen by not responding, not returning mm-hmm. emails, phone calls, things mm-hmm. like that. It's kind of, you know, I always look at when, when, when you borrow money from somebody, and then you don't pay it back for a while. And then you start getting embarrassed about it. So you don't reach out to them and let them know. And then the awkward moment when you see each other, because, you know, and and things like that. But that can happen. Um, and even in my corporate job where, like you, you know, your, your motivation for VLG to educate so you could potentially tap into some friends and shipmates, mm-hmm. other services but it's like, oh, wait a minute, Dave. I know who you were in uniform, but now you're one of those guys outside the blue line that you tell me you're not going to try to sell anything, but I'm sure you really are. And it's like, well, but it goes back to character. And I think based on the character and our relationships, people like, okay, I trust you. And so even then, but then there's those that have gone before us that they they abused that. You know, they... Right. They did that basically. And that's why one of the challenges that I have in my current job in getting this information down to the active duty member um, is that, you know, I'm not allowed to operate on base. And that was because of those before me had abused that privilege. Uh, And, you know, know, that was a big bridge burnt for, for many of us. Uh, So it's unfortunate, you know, we, we try to work the other angles to get that information out there to, uh, those folks who really need it because when you've got only 19% of the vets and service members out there using this extremely valuable benefit to get their them and themselves into a home and maybe build some wealth through property ownership throughout their career. Because like you said, you can have more, you can use your VA loan more than once. You can have multiple VA loans at any given time. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, one Sergeant major that I knew that um, had been a um, client at the company um Every duty station along the way, he had bought a house using his benefit. So when he retired, he had five homes, all earning income for him. 
he never had to work a day in his life after that. I mean, but that was someone who really was far seeing and, and, you know, uh, used this to his advantage. So it's anyway, but yeah, it's, it's, it's no, it might, when you guys like us are on this other side, but there's that wall that was erected uh, by some people before us who didn't have that or didn't maintain that level of ethics that, you know, we're expected to have. And I, you know, and, and now I will say that I appreciate uh, all branches of the military that vet um, to make sure that organizations um, uh, don't come in and abuse that. And so that doesn't mean we're not out there, though. That doesn't mean that uh, a go to whatever on installation of your branch for some of that, whether it's uh, home buying seminars, financial seminars, counseling, all that kind of stuff. But there's a host of other organizations, uh, a lot of them nonprofit, that are outside the blue lines across the nation. And, um, you know, where I'm at in San Diego, um, because of the depth of both the active duty and the retired military community, there are so many, so many yeah. services that are available for people. I, I had a, I've had this conversation with several people, but I just came up again this morning. I was over in Chattanooga um, uh, attending the Southeast Tennessee Veterans Coalition, kind of a monthly meeting of veteran organizations. And um, I was talking with one of the reps there because we're getting ready to do a um, a Sequatchie Valley Veteran Resource Fair um, here in um, where I live in t Southeast Tennessee. And the one thing that I pointed out, especially you're going through the transition myself just recently, is not that uh, there's a lack of resources out there, but uh, there are sometimes too many. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and especially like you were talking about the San Diego area. And I retired out of the Norfolk area. So, you know, we know how, what that's like, right? I mean, there's just so much. And how do you distill it down to the things you need? And I think going back to the earlier comment, you know, guys like us, I think this is where we have an important role to play to say, hey, this is how we get you connected. If I know what your needs are, I can connect you to the right resource. And that goes to mentoring as well, because that's part of mentoring, that's right? Part of mentoring. I, I'm going to help you based upon my experience and the things that I went through. So you're going to be better off than I was. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and just be, it's like, they may not, maybe they, maybe somebody comes to you and, and I don't know if, if, if your organization is, you mentioned uh, the one guy who was licensed in Tennessee, although he was located in Colorado. If, if you guys are, if you have people licensed throughout the nation, but let's just for conversation's sake, you don't, but you meet somebody who's looking to go to a state that you don't, you know, people that you could connect them with because as a mentor, it's not about, Oh, listen, if I, if ELG can't help you, I'm not, I'm not here for you. No, right. it, oh, no. you meet people in the industry. Of course you want to help. It's not that competitive. Uh, it, it's not, it's not the same with veterans. It, it, and that's what I love about us. Um, it, it's like, even the company I work for, there's competitors out there, but listen, if you're happy with, if you're not with the company I work for and you're happy with the competitor, why are you going to leave? Loyalty goes a long way, yeah. a long yeah. way. Yeah, and, and we feel the same way. Uh, um, more than 73% of our employees are either veterans or uh, uh, military affiliated family members. So that we, we kind of have that, you know, frame of mind already is, you know, we're here to help, you know, whatever it takes to get you into a home, we're going to do that or connect you to the resource you need too, because we do a lot of that as well. Um, but that's because of that mentality we, we, that's built into us is we want to help. 
you know, if, if your brother or sister, you know, in, in arms, you know, we're going to do what we can to help you out. You know, even Liberty Military Housing, who used to be Lincoln Military Housing mm-hmm. in Southern California, you know, well, the West Coast. Yep. You know, I remember talking to them years ago and their 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 motivation often is we look at our housing as a transition before the family gets into their home. You know, they they get married. They, they yeah, they got to pay their BAH. They get used to what it's like at any event. Their goal is to move them out of military housing into the, their home ownership. Right. Um, it's not like, no, we want to keep you in at all. That's not their motivation. It's great. Yeah, it's it's mentoring. You know, we can put that mentoring hat over so much of what we do. And and, and I don't, um, it's not the same in the civilian community. You know, uh, there's a lot of self-help books. People pay a lot of money for life coaches and join the military and you can get it for free. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you say where you I, I know, I, I just know uh, more than a few people who are really into that. And you know, I have my own philosophy on it. You know, I'm a big believer in you are who you are. I don't think, you know, deep down, you can you can change some of the aspects of yourself. You can change maybe some of the appearances, but deep down, it's it's really difficult to change who you are fundamentally. Yeah, right. It's like you know, if you build a house, you're not going to change the foundation that much once the house is built. Sure, you, know, you can add, do some some things to the house. You can add on. You can you know change this. You can repaint, but you're not changing the foundation. Yeah, you can change out the furniture. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's why when I hear people with all that self-help stuff, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, uh, when I went through, uh, my John Maxwell training for, uh, teacher, leader, coach, um, I do know, like, Maxwell. I'm, I'm a fan of Maxwell. Yeah. I'm a fan of Maxwell. Me too. And, um, as I, when I went through the coaching, uh, pipeline as well that, to, to learn one thing that, um, what I learned about that in, 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 in and again, it ties into mentoring coaching isn't there to solve my problems for me and tell me how I'm supposed to do things. A coach is supposed to, I, to the, to your point, it's in me on how to solve my problem. The coach is able to ask certain questions and take, take things in to, to get me to solve my mm-hmm. own problems. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. It, 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 there's some other questions that you guys have given me, which really kind of lead to that. Um, when it comes to mentoring and selecting a mentor, you know, because you don't want someone to solve your problems as a protege or a mentee. Yeah, I, I'm old school, so I stick with protege. Um, yeah, that's why you know, when selecting a mentor, you don't necessarily want your buddy or your friend or someone who's you know, going to stroke your back and say that uh, everything's going to be fine. You want that person who's also going to be brutally honest when need be and, and, and is going to give you information, kind of the lead the horse to water analogy. Yeah, I'm going to get you to the watering hole, but you got to figure out how to drink. Right? Uh, the other example I used to use, because you know, I'm big into woodworking and carpentry, you know, I, I can give you the tools for your toolbox, but I'm not going to build the house for you. Yeah, that You have to do that, and, and that's because that's the only way you're going to learn. Uh, so I, I, you know, I think in, in selecting that mentor, if, if, if someone's actively out pursuing one, Pick someone who you can trust, has integrity, is respected, and is going to be, you know, brutally honest with you when, oh, yeah. when need be. You know, and, and I think it's important to have multiple mentors. Um, 
you mm. know, it's it's civilian military. When I was on active duty, I, I had people that were my uh, my juniors, right? Which as a command master chief, especially, it's like, you know, that that's kind of, so I would keep it in the chief's map. I wouldn't necessarily go down to some E5s. Um, but I, I had some, some chiefs that I trusted and gave them the permission. Um, and as a civilian, I, I still have those. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny, uh, one of our earlier guests, uh, Nate Bricker, you know, he, he talks about, so he's a, a retired senior chief and he's now at a job. His boss is one of his E5s from active duty days, right? <laughs> so, you know, when we talk about burning bridges and everything else yep. and you know, mentorship and all, yeah. you just never know, you know, who that person, but, uh, but you know what, that kid, that young man transitioned out before Nate had that job. Did it. So when Nate comes out, he's like, Hey brother, I need help. You know, you know, not hook a brother up, but humble yourself to you in there done. I can remember when I was an RM one, uh, and we got this young ensign on board and he comes in to watch, uh, I was working in the message center. He comes in at like two in the morning and I'm like, Hey, what are you doing here, sir? He says, well, I want to, I'm going to be the radio officer. I need to learn what you guys do and understand it. And I'm not just going to come in on the day shift. And he came up in the middle of the night when it was a little slower and we were able to take time. I'm like, wow. So here we're going back. So this was like in the early nineties at that command. So 30 years later, I still remember that. Yeah, and there's probably a couple of things going on in the background. Either one, he's an exceptionally smart and wise young man, mm-hmm. or two, he had a really good chief giving him some good. We're gonna say both. <laughs> so, well, listen, David, we've been we've been talking for a while here, and and uh, we could keep going on, but but oh yeah, um, I, I, I we do need to wrap this up. Uh, so you've been listening to a conversation with David Carter, thirty four year Navy Command Master Chief, retired as a Force Master Chief, and we've just been. Uh, sharing our, our thoughts uh, and experiences on mentoring. Uh, so, uh, and, and Dave, part of Veterans Lending Group, a nationwide uh, organization that really values the military community and wants to educate our military and take advantage of their VA home loan. Uh, so please, uh, we'll put in the, uh, the notes below how to get a hold of VLG. And you know, if you want to talk specifically to Dave, uh, to David, uh, that'll be in there too. And I encourage you, you know, wherever you are uh, in the uh, in the world, uh, if you're looking for training, I know David does it in person as well as virtual. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Virtual we do a lot, is, man, a lot of virtual nowadays. We are virtual. We, we're the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. We are keeping our two main leadership courses, Foundry Class for E6s and the Leading Pedestrian Academy Workshop for E5s. We're remaining virtual because, you know, listen, we can have students from all over the world zoom in to participate. Um, so listen, as we close, Dave, I'd just like to ask the one final kind of fun question. Uh, you know, in the beginning, we just talked about worst leadership advice. Just wondering uh, maybe if there was any, uh, any any leadership decision you made along the way in your your career that you kind of dodged a bullet. You know, I was like, oh, man, I, that could have gone south real bad, but I got away with it. Uh, and what you learn from it? You know, the, the one I, I, I remember so distinctly um and it wasn't necessarily, maybe not necessarily dodged a bullet, but uh, definitely a, a hard lesson learned. Uh, I was a brand new chief. Uh, I was stationed on the George H.W. Bush. Oh, excuse me, the uh, Truman. Get my carriers mixed up after a while. 
uh, plank owner on, on the Truman. And um, I had been sent down to take over uh, a different division. I just made chief along with my buddy, my running mate. And uh, our combat systems officer said, hey, I want you to go take over this division. You could, and it had been a division that wasn't normally affiliated with combat systems. So there was a lot of, uh, because of some restructuring within the airland community, um, there, there was just a lot of tension there. So we were sent down to kind of bring them into the fold, right? And get them on board with the program. So there's a lot of back and forth there. And um, there was a lot of resentment against us for that too. So, um, and I was doing something that was an email chain of some sort. And I'd emailed back to this um, uh, at the time an IT2. And um, his response back to me, I, I took some umbrage to. So instead of going to deal with it right away, I, since I was on email, I responded and said, hey, this is not right. And it, that it kind of blew up. And I ended up putting the sailor on report for um, um, insubordination. Well, as that was going through the chain, you know, it really kind of became very clear to me that I could have handled that so much differently. You know, um, if I had just gotten away from my computer, walked down to the shop, at the time, I think I was in the, the maintenance shop, which is on the O3 level, and the ADP shop is down on the fourth deck. So, you know, seven, you know, seven decks there between the two. Um, so if I had just gotten off my butt and gone down to the shop and pulled the sailor aside, we might have been able to hash things out, but it, it blew way out of proportion. And you know, from that particular lesson, I learned it, nothing beats a face-to-face -face communication, especially when it comes to email. And if you're emailing something and there starts to be some uh, passion in there or some um, emotion, get off the keyboard, <laughs> log out, walk away, because nothing good comes out of um, trying to resolve a, a, an emotional issue via an unemotional means and uh, and again that interpersonal communication between you know go, going you know um knee to knee nose to nose with an individual and say hey what's going on here how do we work this out is invaluable so to me that was one of my earliest most important lessons as a, especially as a young chief uh, on how to deal with um issues and that it has to be done face to face you, you can't do it over electronic means you know i love that story because that's mentoring Right. And you just provided a great piece of mentoring advice. Yeah. Um, yeah, both, my, mm. both my sons are in the, in the Navy now. My oldest is an officer, a flight officer. My youngest is an FC2. And I tell both of them, say, yeah, one, don't put anything on email that you wouldn't write to your mother in a postcard. And two, don't do anything emotional on the keyboard. Get off the keyboard, go talk to somebody. Good advice. Good advice. Well, David, uh, thanks for your service. Uh, thanks for your friendship. Thanks for what you're doing to give back to the military community. And thanks for joining us today. And to everyone else, thank you for tuning in to Lead On Lessons from Military Leaders. I'm David Deary with the List Leadership Foundation. Uh, please check out our website at www.enlistedleadershipfoundation.org. And until next time, have a great day. Produced by Podcast Architects.